morning. We are on week two of our series from the Gospel of John, and uh, it's like he's setting us up for this giant roller coaster ride as we've been through John chapter one now through verse 28 anyway. It's like John has brought us to this elevated understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, that he has come full of grace and truth. It's like going to wild thing and Valley Fair, and you go up that first 207 feet, you get the elevation, the height, so that you can experience the rest of the ride. And, and, and John, in John chapter 1, it's brought us to this elevation of understanding of who Christ is, and now the ride begins. Today, we're going to look at uh, one of the first concepts after we get to this elevated thought of Jesus came for the grace and truth, and it's that Jesus came baptizing with the person of the Holy Spirit. And how does God bring grace and truth into our lives? through the ministry of the person of the Holy Spirit. And right, right at the get-go here, right as we begin our downslope of this roller coaster ride in the, in the Gospel of John, we come to this critical, critical um, concept that, uh, that Jesus baptizes with the person of the Holy Spirit. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, this is John the Baptist, by the way. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spear come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now, it's interesting. When God really wants us to get a concept, frequently what he does in his word and his revelation to us is he sends an example of that concept who paints a picture, and then he just clearly states the concept. That's the case here when it comes to being baptized in the Holy Spirit. He sends his example, John the Baptist, this forerunner to Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist, it, it kind of paints a picture of what it looks like to come to God and be baptized. He does all this water baptism. And then he clearly states what he's getting after, the big concept, that Jesus would come baptizing with the person of the Holy Spirit. In order to really begin to appreciate the picture that's being painted by John the Baptist, we have to turn over to Matthew chapter 3, and I want to read the same account from Matthew's perspective. It's verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 3. Listen to this scripture. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he was, had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees, now whenever you hear the word Pharisees, you have to realize they're not fair, you see because they want us to abide by the rules and laws that they make up. So whenever you hear that word Pharisees, just think, they're not fair, you see. So there's many of the Pharisees, and then there's the Sadducees. They're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. So they're sad, you see. 
So many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you could say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There it is, clearly stated. Jesus would come baptizing with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his weed into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So what we see here is John's kind of being used as an example by God to paint a picture of what Jesus and his ministry would, would look like and be like. And so John is anything but normal. Amen? Amen. I'll say it to myself. Amen. This guy is anything but normal. He is not a normal person. He's got different dress, a leather belt. He's eating honey. I love honey. Anybody like honey? How about you like locusts? A little locust dipped in a little honey. Ooh, doggy, that's good, eh? Right? I eat bugs every now and then. It's called riding my motorcycle. But I don't eat them on purpose. Every time I do, I go, blah, you know? But John came eating honey and locusts. He's not normal. And everything he did fell out of the religious norm. He wasn't about religion. He was about relationship and repentance and being right with God the Father. And he's radical. He's untamed. He's passionate about following God. And he's calling people to this repentance. Turn from your old life. Turn to a new life. And those who were doing that were getting baptized in water, symbolic that they were turning from their old life and turning to a new life. And along come the Pharisees, who are not very fair, you see, and the Sadducees, who are sad because there's no resurrection. And they, too, kind of want to experience And John looks at them, and he calls what he sees. Uh, he calls out tooth. He says, listen, you brood of live according to your repentance and he's indicative he's illustrative of the ministry that jesus would bring about when the lord wants us to understand an important concept he often has an example who paints a picture and then he plainly states it John shows us the radical nature of what God was going to do through Jesus Christ. He paints a picture so we can kind of get it, that this is not religion as it's always been. That, that those who come after Jesus are going to have their life totally and radically reoriented. It's not about adding a little God on your life and being okay. It's about being utterly, totally, 100% changed and reoriented. And like John baptized, Jesus was baptized, only he was going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He was going to actually fill his followers with power so that they could experience to life change and become the men and women God intended. And Jesus was also going to call out things as he saw them. He came, we're told, holding a winnying fork, which is it's just a fancy name for a pitchfork that throw grain up in the air so that the grain could fall straight to the threshing floor and the chaff could be blown away. I have a picture of that. I hope they'll put it up there. But I'm looking at my picture, but that's okay. So you just throw up 
the grain and, and chaff and the chaff flies off because it's lighter and the grain falls back to the threshing floor. And we're told that Jesus would have that kind of ministry. He would say, what's up? He would separate the authentic from the inauthentic. And the inauthentic was destined and is destined for unquenchable, unquenchable fire. So Jesus comes to us. And we're told in John chapter 1, he comes full of grace and truth. And right away, as we begin to go down that roller coaster, and we're, we're, we're learning now about the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, right away we're told he does what? Baptizes with the person of the Holy Spirit. And what does the person of the Holy Spirit do for us as followers? He brings the power and the presence of God to bear in our lives, and he brings and makes the truth of God known to us. So here's our big thought for today. Jesus baptizes his followers with the Holy Spirit. Now when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think there are two extremes we need to be aware of, at least understand how they affect us. Two extremes. First extreme is this, denying, ignoring, or fearing the person in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I see this a lot in evangelical circles. Denying, Ignoring, because I don't know what to do with them. Or just fearing the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand some of the fearing, because there's been a lot of things done over the years, over the decades, over the centuries, in the name of the Spirit that are pretty far out there. But listen to this this morning. Hear this. Don't let somebody else's misuse and misunderstanding of the person of the Holy Spirit misdirect you. Did you hear that? Don't let somebody else's misuse and misunderstanding misdirect you. Don't do that. Because part of the package, part of the experience that God wants you and I to have as followers of Christ is to be baptized with a person of the Holy Spirit so that we don't walk according to our own power, but we walk according to the power of God at work in us. Amen? Amen. It's not okay just to ignore this. It's a crucial piece of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And for sure, we ought not to fear it. Christ's perfect love casts out fear. And the person of the Holy Spirit is there to equip us and to empower us to become what we can't become on our own. When the person of the Holy Spirit is denied, ignored, or feared, that person cuts off the very power of God from their lives that God meant us to experience. And you know what happens to our Christianity then? It becomes kind of an academic pursuit. Transformation becomes human effort. It's frustrating. It's cerebral, but it's not life-changing. And you know it becomes safe, and it becomes tame, and it becomes kind of controllable. And that's not the picture of John the Baptist at all, is it? It's not the picture of who Jesus Christ is and what he would do in our lives. There's a radicalness. There's a passion in Christ. There's this thing that we can't control. There's a power unleashed in our lives. And I tell you what, that's the ministry and that's the, the, the function and, 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 and what the Holy Spirit does in us. There's another extreme that we have to watch out for. That's over-spiritualizing too. So we can deny and ignore the work of the Holy Spirit and then we can over-spiritualize let me talk about how this can make itself, um, you know, kind of known in our lives. A common way is asking for signs and wonders all the time and seeking after signs and wonders all the time. And um, we're told in Matthew chapter 16 that the Pharisees and Sadducees, now you see why I defined them for you. They're, they're all over my message today. 
In Matthew 16, we're told that the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus asking him, show us a sign from heaven to validate who you are. And uh, I, I kind of lifted up my nose when I said that, because I think that's what they did. We don't believe who you are. Prove it to us. And Jesus said to this group, listen, you know how to tell the weather by looking at the, at, at the signs of going around? You can understand the weather. Don't you understand the signs of the times? He said, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign. And he said, none will be given you except the sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah directly testified to what Jesus Christ would do. The sign of Jonah was that he was in the belly of the fish for three days, and then he was resurrected back to life, so to speak, when he spit out on the shore. The same way Jesus would go in the grave, and after three days, he'd be resurrected from the dead. And Jesus looks at these gentlemen who are questioning him, and he says, you're not going to get any sign but the sign of Jonah. But what he was basically saying is, I stand before you as the sign. See me. You'll see me resurrected. What more do you need? Amen? That's what he's saying to these guys. And he knew that they had hard hearts. They didn't want to believe him, so he wasn't going to fool around with them. He's already what? Winnowing fork away. Grain from the chaff. He knows, you know, I'm not going to play games with you. John gave us that picture. John didn't play games with people. Jesus was coming, and he wasn't going to play games with people either. Now, I see another way that this spiritualization thing happens, this over-spiritualization, is it's spiritual language. Sometimes somebody wants to do something or they, or they want something so badly and, or maybe they're, they're, they're not intentionally doing this to be manipulative, but they might come to somebody, uh, a friend or someone like me and say, well, the Lord told me this and that and I really feel I need to do this or that and blah, 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 right? And they're using this, this what I call spiritual language and I'm thinking, this isn't biblical. You haven't talked to wise counselors, but you're using the spiritual language. So you, what, what are you doing? You're boxing somebody into a corner. They can't say, you're not, well, you can't tell me God didn't speak to me, you know. And, then, and you kind of get kind of boxed in the corner by this, this kind of use of spiritual language. And um, I'm, not, I'm not by any means downplaying the supernatural, but watch out that you're not manipulative. I remember in my own life, um, 20, 20 years ago now, I was uh, called to Williston, and uh, it was a hard calling. I'm trying not to look at Vicky as I talk. It was hard, and it became very apparent through some interactions of people with us and the Lord that we were supposed to go to Williston, right? And I remember getting the final official call. We were extending you a call, and I, I, I remember thinking, I'm going to be real spiritual. I didn't really want to go. <laughs> So I took a lawn chair, like, you know, and I said, I'm going to go to the back into the woods and pray. And there's this big cottonwood out there in the back of our acreage in Elkton. It was just beautiful. So I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to manipulate God. <laughs> That's really what was my attitude. I don't want to go. So I thought, well, I'll pray. This has got to be some kind of test that we've passed now. <laughs> so I remember taking the chair out there setting that thing below the, the, the big old cottonwood tree, and I'm going to sit out there, and I'm going to seek God's face until I, get a, I hear his voice. You ever been there? God's been plainly speaking to us for like a year on this thing. So I sit down, and I'm going to pray now. I remember what happened. It was strange because it was almost audible. I remember God said, what are you doing out here? And I remember saying, I'm being spiritual. <laughs> I'm seeking your face. He said, I've already told you what I want you to do. Go, be obedient. I remember thinking, really? 
<laughs> and I thought, all right, uh, okay, fold it up my chair. I was, the whole process took me about 15 minutes. 12 minutes was walking out and back. The three minutes was, but, but you know, I, I realized even in my own life, I have to watch out that I don't do this spiritual language thing. And oftentimes when I do, it's manipulation and control behind it as reasons for doing it. So that's another extreme you've got to watch out for when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, but I'm not downplaying the supernatural. I am not downplaying the supernatural. Oh, my goodness. Jesus' ministry was so supernatural in its orientation. And it continued after his resurrection. All kinds of supernatural manifestations occurred in the church after Jesus' resurrection. I mean, right away, the Holy Spirit comes on on the disciples at Pentecost and anoints them with the ability to speak in previously unknown languages. So that that Feast of Pentecost, where all these other Jews were coming from all these other places speaking different languages, they could share the wonders of God in these people's native tongues. And then Peter and John, they're going up to the temple for a time of prayer, and I love this. They're going up to the temple for a time of prayer, uh, and they've come upon a cripple laying there, and he, he looks at them, and he says, got any spare change? And, you know, they, 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 Peter just bursts out in song, silver and gold have I none, right? You guys ever been to Sunday school? <laughs> but such as I have, give I thee. And he sings them. No, he doesn't sing them that song. But he goes, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the guy rose up and he walked. And it was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful miracle. Um, just read Acts sometimes. Just read the book of Acts. It's the, it, it is the history of the early church. Read it with an open heart. And you're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit was upon the early church. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to ignore. Now, I think a lot of the evangelical church of today errs, errs more on the ignoring, denying, and fearing side of the person of the Holy Spirit, not so much on the maybe overuse or over, uh, over application of the, of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is I want to share with you for a few moments on this side of the equation, because I think we really need to talk about that today. And I don't know, a lot of people I don't think realize how much the Holy Spirit has been part of the history of the Wesleyan Church. We have no idea because we just don't have any reason to know. I want to talk to you for a few moments about that. And then I want to talk about how to have a right response to the, the fact that Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then I want to talk to you and close out with expectations we should have as followers of God if the Holy Spirit's working actively in our lives. So I've been reading this book. Pastor Aaron got me onto the book. Now the whole staff's going to do the book, but it's marks of a movement. And it's really, uh, it's, a, it's a historical, um, you know, study uh, of the Wesleyan movement. And I was reading one chapter here about three weeks ago, and it was entitled The Empowering of the Holy Spirit. And I go, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, and I begin to read and say, oh, this is, this is part of our history. The, the really recognition and the, and the acceptance and the invitation of the Holy Spirit into the activity of the church. So listen to what this person says about uh, our history as a Wesleyan denomination. Now, remember, way back in the day, a long time ago, we were part of the Methodist movement, okay? So in this history you know, understanding Methodists and Wesleyan are used interchangeably. But listen to what he says. In addition to a focus on reading God's authoritative word, the Methodist movement, Wesleyan movement, was marked by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit working the lives of men and women. 
Wesley believed that the revival he was seeing was a special work of the Holy Spirit for that time and place. He wrote, It is plain to me that the whole work of God termed Methodism is an extraordinary dispensation of his providence. For Wesley, the Spirit was not an abstract concept, but a living reality, a person to be known and experienced. Wesley believed that being filled with the Spirit was the defining mark of scriptural Christianity. As the revival moved across and spread to England, the work of the Holy Spirit was becoming evident in the lives of thousands of believers, and Wesley became increasingly convinced that the empowering presence of the Spirit was one of the key signs for the evidence of scriptural Christianity. This was a significant shift in how many Christians thought about these things. Wesley was suggesting that true Christianity must be evidenced by outward signs of change and transformed life that it was not simply a matter of affirming creeds and performing rituals. One of the things that attracted me originally to the Wesleyan denomination as I began to search out and, and, and pursue a call to ministry was the high emphasis that our denomination places on transformation and the, and the work of the, of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. It's just, it's just something that we need to be aware of, that that's part of our denominational heritage. So here's our response to this heritage and the response to this revelation of John chapter 1, that Jesus would come uh, filling us uh, with the Holy Spirit. Here's our response. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask for it. We're going to read a scripture from Luke chapter 11, verse 13. That reveals that we should have this very attitude. I want you to read this scripture out loud with me. It's going to appear behind me on that screen. It's Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Here we go. Read it with me, please. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So how do you get the Holy Spirit? Amen. You guys are bright. Amen, right? You ask him. What do you think we're going to do right now? We're going to ask him. So I ask you to bow your head, and I'm going to just pray this prayer, and I pray just agree with me in this prayer. Hear this prayer, but more than hear it, agree with me as I pray this. Lord, baptize us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us so that we experience the promise and power of the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, that you will answer this simple prayer. It is your will. We know that the filling of the Holy Spirit will radically change our lives. We want this. We ask for this and we expect it. Just come, Holy Spirit, and fill us and make known to us the ways of Jesus. Jesus' name and in Jesus' blood, amen. I would encourage you to... Actively seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do here is end with some things we should expect as Spirit-filled people, what this should mean in our lives and how this should work. Um, and I, I, want to, I want to begin with this understanding that when, when we're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, that part of his ministry will be bringing the truth of Christ to bear on us. Remember, we got to this high place in, in, in John chapter 1, this high elevation, Jesus came full of what? Grace and truth. Now we get to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit going to do for us? He's going to bring the power of Christ in our life, and he's going to bring the truth of Christ in our life. So our first exhortation is this. Expect the Holy Spirit to, to prompt you and to lead you, just to bring the truth of Christ into your life. Expect him to prompt you and, and, and to lead you. Here's what I would suggest to you. 
Each morning when you get up for a while, just do this experiment. Just, just do this experiment. Every morning when you get up, just say, Holy Spirit, would you guide me today? With you, would you fill me with the thoughts of the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and then expect him to prompt you and to lead you. Sometimes we think, well, if the Holy Spirit's going to do something in my life, it's going to be this big, grand, miraculous, you know, moment. But he's, he wants to be part of your life. He wants to be part uh, of the daily affairs uh, uh, that you go through. Ask him to prompt you and lead you. Let me drill, out, drill down on this just a little bit more. Expect the Holy Spirit to enlighten what you read in the Bible. When you sit down and you're going to read God's word, just take, I do this frequently when I'm, when I'm doing a message. I do this all the time, but most of the time that's out of desperation, amen? God, show me something here, please. Anyway, but, but I, I read down, when I, when I begin a week and I begin to do, say, preparation for a message, I will, I will say, Lord Jesus, I want your, your, your truth to be known. I want your ways to be known. I want people to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you work on this thing? Would you work in my life? And I don't want to just go through this preparation for the sake of others. I want to experience it myself. Amen? And so every day, it doesn't matter if you're an engineer or a teacher, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, you know, whatever you are. Every morning, if you just say, Spirit, would you guide me? Would you lead me today? I think he delights in answering that prayer. And if we pray, enlighten your word, we know that he delights in that. Listen to what Jesus promises in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 14. Listen to this promise. Jesus said this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So the Holy Spirit makes Jesus known to us. So when you read God's word and you ask him to make this truth known to you, I think that aligns with God's will. In fact, I think it's okay to say, Holy Spirit, do the ministry that we've been promised you would do. Sometimes when I don't know how to pray, I know that the Holy Spirit will pray, pray on our behalf with utterings and groans that we don't understand. Sometimes when I do not know how to pray and I'm at a loss, I'll just say, Holy Spirit, pray, please. Just pray. Just intercede like promised. Intercede in the Father's behalf because I just honestly don't know what to pray here. It's okay to do that, amen? Amen. Now, at this point, I was debating whether I would share it, but I'm going to share it because it's so evident and so big in, in the book of Acts, especially in all throughout the epistles of the New Testament. But expect the Holy Spirit to give you power to be a witness. Now, don't tune me out. Don't tune me out right now because as soon as I use that word witness, half the people go, oh, I'm not going to listen to this. Don't tune me out because the Holy Spirit and part of the reason we don't see the power of the Holy Spirit in the church today like we ought to is we don't understand that, that one of the main reasons for the manifestation of the power of God is to bear witness and to bring people into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul exhorted his beloved disciple Timothy with the following words. And I think a lot of you will know these words, but maybe you don't know the context. For the Spirit of God, uh, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. We often read that and we kind of yank it right out of the scriptural context and say, yeah, yeah, I don't have to have a spirit of timidity. I can have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. But then we go and read the rest. Paul said, so you don't have to be ashamed 
to testify about our Lord. So he was saying to Timothy, Timothy, my beloved disciple, Pastor Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of Timothy, or Timothy, <laughs> of timidity. Timothy, timidity, you know it all, alliterates, you know what I'm saying. But of power, love, and a sound mind. Why? So that you can be an effective leader of the church, so that you can witness effectively for the cause of Jesus Christ, so you can make God's ways known, amen? That's why he's not giving you a spirit of timidity, but of love, power, and a sound mind. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promises believers this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A couple things, I think, that we need to understand here. One is we don't need to fear other people. We don't need to fear rejection or acceptance. Because God hasn't given us a spirit of what? Timidity, he hasn't. And so we don't have to fear those things. But secondly, we take upon ourselves that which we should not take upon ourselves. We think that witnessing and all that is something that we have to figure out and we have to be great apologetics. We have to, apologetics, we have to be great at persuasive arguments and all that. No, you know what you need to do? You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you need to pray for the Holy Spirit to work in that person's life. And you need to... Pray that he'd be unleashed. You know, last year at this time of year, I asked you to do something. Pray for four people that uh, you love and know, maybe family members, friends, coworkers, whatever, that need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do that again this year as a, a, maybe a resolution for the year 2020. Pray for four people in your life that need to know Jesus, that don't know Jesus. But here's what I want to ask you to do in addition to that. Pray that God would grace you Pray that he would fill you with the personal Holy Spirit so that you can be an effective witness in their life. Pray that God would grace the relationship and fill the relationship with the Holy Spirit's power and presence so that divine things happen and divine moments that you don't have to do much other than just step in and make it known who Jesus is. Begin to pray that way because, see, the Holy Spirit, a big part of his ministry is witnessing to God. Witnessing about God, witnessing of God's greatness, testifying of his glory, okay? And, and, and sometimes I think the church doesn't see the power of God unleashed in our day and era because we don't understand that. We think, well, there's gold dust falling down in Florida. Strange things happen in Florida all the time. If you're listening on, and you love Florida, I'm sorry. I'm talking to the video right now. But... Um, you know, and people run, I knew some people that ran down to Florida because gold dust was supposedly falling. And, and I remember saying, why would gold dust just fall on people? Oh, God, just showing us up. Why? He just doesn't do stuff to do things. Usually there's a manifestation of the person of the Holy Spirit and the power for the witnessing of the reality of God to bring glory to God's name, amen? So that people go, oh, he's real. And their hearts are stricken with that realization and, and revival things happen and awakening things happen and the Methodist movement happens and things like that happen. Amen? And if we understand that, maybe that's what we need to seek after. And I, I want to tell you, do it personally. Why wouldn't God work that way in your life? The leaders of the um, early church 
Peter and John were out witnessing, and they were really effective in their witnessing, so much so that the religious leaders of that time got mad at them and said, quit teaching and preaching in Jesus' name. And I love what they said. We can't. We can't help but say what we've heard and seen. And he kind of a, gets after them. They had spent some jail time, and this was after they were getting out of jail. And he said, oh, man. These leaders are saying to him, stop it, stop it, stop it. And they said, we can't. And so then they go back and they report this to the church uh, that, that they had been imprisoned and then released and told not to preach. And here's what they prayed in Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. Now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So they, 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 you could see the Holy Spirit being poured out here as the kingdom of God is growing. Amen? And God wants to do this, listen, in your family, in your friends, in your workplace, in this church, in this community, don't limit God. Pray for it. Seek his face for it. One last expectation. Expect the Holy Spirit to do the miraculous in your life, in your own personal life. Just expect that. I love how Peter, who denied Jesus three times after his resurrection and reinstatement, he preaches to this crowd. And he's anointed by the person of the Holy Spirit. And it was miraculous. When you look at the transformation of Peter and the change of Peter, it was nothing more than miraculous. It's miraculous. And 3,000 people are, are, are saved. And I love the, the testimony given about, you know, uh, when Peter and John are in front of their, you know, Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're being kind of scolded for teaching and preaching in Jesus' name. And it just kind of a note there in the scripture that says, these leaders realized that these men were with Jesus, yet they were unschooled and super articulate and super bold. And they realized no ordinary thing had transpired here. And then if you get to Acts chapter 5, it just says, there are a lot of miraculous signs. Acts is the history of the early church. We're still part of that history of that's going on. We should just expect the miraculous in our lives. And I need to stop there for today. But get this. God has brought us to this high understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus came full of grace and truth. We're on the top of the roller coaster. We go down. What do we run into right away? First slope down. He baptizes with the person of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do for us? He brings the power of God into our lives. And he brings the truth of Christ into our lives. Amen? You see how this thing's progressing here? And, and man, I tell you, it just keeps going from here. It's, it's kind of exciting. So we're going to pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, I want to thank you for uh, the gospel of John and for this day. Praise be to your name, Jesus. You're strong, you're mighty, you're powerful. And I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came full of grace and truth. And I want to thank you for the amazing truth, the concept that we just uh, happened upon here so quickly in the Gospel of John, that you have come to baptize us with the person of the Holy Spirit. And that baptism will then bring the power of God into our lives in a very real, present, intimate way. And that will change everything, Lord. Transformation isn't about us trying harder. It's about us abiding in you more and more and depending on you more and more. Effective witnessing, Lord, isn't about us being super persuasive and super knowledgeable, although those things help. It's about a reliance upon your Holy Spirit and and praying that your Holy Spirit would do works in the lives of other people, which we will never be able to do in our lives, Lord. And then we know that the Holy Spirit came 
to bear witness to you, Jesus, to make your truth known to us. Because you came full of grace and truth. So the Holy Spirit's going to make that known to us, that your truth. Thank you, Jesus, for that. We, we praise you and we give you glory today. And all God's people said,